Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show with your host, Jason Brown, where each week Jason teaches you how to get yourself and your clients brutally strong and, of course, well conditioned. What's up, everyone? Jason here for another episode of Strong AF X Well Conditioned. Thank you for joining me back today. I'm going to talk about the differences that I see training between me being almost 40 years old and me when I was 20 years old. I did a recent post on this and the kind of the main point is, is that there really shouldn't be a difference. The main difference is that we're smarter when we're 40 years old. We know that we always say if we knew then what we know now, we would have made different choices. We would have likely done different things. And hopefully if you're in your 20s and you're listening to this, you can take some of this to mean something and maybe apply it right away in your own training. Because there are some very specific things that I would do differently had I had this information that I have right now back then. So to make this, I think, as easy to understand, I'm going to use myself as um, the guinea pig of what I would do differently and what I do do differently now and what that means for other people that I train, the clients that I work with, what are things that I bias because of that? So if we think about when we're 40 years old, and again, if you guys aren't 40 years old, these things are still going to be applicable. I don't care how old you are. There are certain things that we need to take advantage of and use at our disposal. So if I look back, I had the ability to have a program written for me. I trained at a strength conditioning facility at from a young age, from like eighth grade up until I think I was a sophomore or junior in college. And then after I was a junior in college, I started uh, training myself. I started working at a commercial gym. I was a personal trainer. I got some piece of crap online certificate. That means absolutely nothing. I don't even remember what it was, but it wasn't good. And I got all of my experience from being in the trenches, training athletes at a facility and working under coaches that are far more qualified than I was. Okay. They were giving me training programs. They were allowing me to ask questions. So that was kind of my, my early on introduction to programming and then eventually coaching other people. But before I started coaching people, I started working at a commercial gym. I wouldn't even say working. I started training at a com commercial gym and just programming for myself. And it's funny. I actually didn't have this like grand plan where I'm like, hey, I'm going to go get experience programming for myself. I'm going to be a bit guinea pig. It just kind of happened organically. So there's no master plan. Where I'm like, oh, I got to go do this before I start training people. I decided to start going there, doing my own thing, writing my own programs based off of the programs that I had in hand. I still have all of my old programs from as far back as eighth grade. And I go back and refer to a lot of my programs that I used when I was in college that I had written for me. And those actually served as really the basis of how I put our new course, the programming playbook together. Because I think that one of the things that's missing is the ability to show someone, the ability to give someone a guide, some templates, some programming, so they can look at something that works and that is successful, and they can put their own spin on it. And then having a place to obviously put all of the methods and know the methods, know the why behind all of those methods, and even getting down to subtle nuances like sets, reps, and rest intervals. Those are all things that make a great program. So clearly, I didn't know that back then, and I didn't have all this stuff at my disposal like I do now. But if I had to think back of the major change that I would make, and this is the change that I apply to every person I work with, all of the guys I work with on Everyday Hero, we use all of these things to our advantage. And we even go as far as doing a movement assessment, but that's another story. And honestly, the movement assessment just reveals things that I kind of already know. Now, there are specific things per individual. You'll have uh, certain people that have uh, certain limitations, or maybe they have just certain movements that, that they cannot perform for whatever reason. Then those are a case-by-case -case basis. But generally speaking, I tend to see a lot of things. 
And the first thing I tend to see is with our hip hinge pattern. I tend to see people that cannot pull from the floor with a neutral spine. I got into a big debate recently about a CrossFit workout, which uh, you know is another uh, another topic for another day. But the kind of where I was going with that is that if we are looking out for someone longevity and their health, and uh, obviously you know hitting PRs and, and getting better and looking better, all those things play into that. Then we need to look at their hip hinge pattern more closely. And if we do that, the way I s- assess it and see it, even virtually, I can see very clearly where someone starts to lose a neutral spine. And so for me, a squat and a hip hinge is where we can go in terms of maximum range of motion with a neutral spine. Okay. So it's not, Hey, let's go hip crease below the knee and squat shoulder with stance. Let's squat for a stance. That's more optimal for you. And let's go to the depth that you can maintain a neutral spine. If it's parallel, then you're going to do a parallel squat with me. If it's uh, you need to pull a deadlift from, you know, right below the knees from a rack, then you have to pull a deadlift from that position. Because again, if we're thinking about longevity, it's not about maximum range of motion and maximum intensity. It's about maximum trainability for you. So these are things that are, I feel, paramount to a great program. You can't make someone do something just because it's inherently a good thing. A deadlift is, you know, by most most accounts, going to be a very valuable lift. Anyone can sit here and, and argue the merits of a deadlift. But what I would say is to take a step further and, and argue maximizing that lift to the person so they can not only get more from it, but it's going to not take as much out of them. Okay. So these are things that we consider. So if I think about myself, what I used to do in my 20s and even in my 30s, I would say even up till 31, 32, I still pulled from the floor all the time. And I can, I'd be willing to bet. Luckily, I don't have, uh, any video because I would probably cringe if I saw it. But if I saw a video for me in my 20s, I would be willing to bet it was not pretty. And I would be willing to bet that I more times than not would pull from the floor and my, you know, I'd look like essentially for lack of a better phrase, look like a dog taking a poop. That's not what we want. We don't want our clients to look like that because eventually there's going to be some issues. And guess what? I've got lower back issues. I've got SI joint issues that rear their ugly head anytime I do conventional pulls from the floor or even heavy rack at this point with a conventional style stance tends to flare me up. So those are things I avoid. Again, the deadlift is a great lift. We know that. But if we're utilizing it haphazardly with people that can't pull from the floor, then we have to ask ourselves why. Okay. So we need to do a better job at being a coach and putting people in the best position to win. And that is by customizing positions to the person. So when I put someone through a movement assessment online, I can you know, really gauge whether or not they can pull from the floor. And I don't typically see people that can. And that's with both a sumo stance and a conventional stance. Now, sumo, we tend to get a little bit more range of motion. We know that a sumo deadlift is very different. It actually resembles more of a squat. The bar is closer to you. It's a wider stance, which is going to bias different musculature. So, you know, really at the end of the day, a sumo and a conventional are two entirely different things. We can utilize both. And some people might be more suited for a sumo than they are conventional. So that might change how we customize the lift. But if we're thinking about making better choices now, so we can train in our 40s pain-free, then these things have to happen, right? And when you have someone that's doing a workout under fatigue, they're pulling, you know, high rep deadlifts. What's high rep? 
I mean, obviously there's a lot of subjectivity to that. It could be, you know, 20 reps. It could be one rep, to be honest. If someone's pulling from a shitty position for two, three reps, then it's still a shitty position and they're still putting them in a position where there could be issues. Now, I think that what we lose track of when we train early on, when we are in our 20s, is that we can get away with these things. I used to get away with training in shitty positions. I wasn't a stickler with my technique. I would use lifts that I probably wasn't suited to use. And, you know, I didn't have issues. I didn't have a ton of issues then, but guess what? I do now. And I would attribute a lot of these issues to those things. So if I was going to go back in time, those are, that's one thing I would change. I wouldn't pull from the floor and I probably would bias more of the trap bar or the sumo deadlift. Easy, easy fix. Again, if you take one thing from this episode, it's that you should customize position per the person. If you don't know how to do that, then look into getting some further education on movement assessment. Okay. So next thing. If we think about things like training frequency, you know, we're in a society that more is more. If we take more supplements, if we, you know, work out more intensely, if we do more sessions, we're going to get more results, but actually it doesn't really work that way. There is a point of diminishing returns. In our 20s, we get away with doing high frequency, high intensity all the time. We don't burn out as quickly, but as we get older, things start to change. We start to notice that we feel worse. And I see a lot of people that don't know that they feel like shit until you put them in the right training program and you're balancing the amount of intensity they're receiving on a weekly basis. At first, they're usually taken aback. They're like, wow, this is a lot less than what I was doing. But you know, you give it eight to 12 weeks and usually they're like, okay, I'm getting better results. I have heard that not to toot my own horn. I've heard that too many times. And it's always, it's always kind of interesting because you know, at first, those are the same people that usually push back and don't think that we are giving them as enough volume, enough intensity, enough frequency, go down the list of, you know, different variables. And those are the people that more than likely come back to you and say, wow, I actually, not only do I feel better, but I'm getting better results. I feel stronger. I look better. Um, so it's all about managing stress. That's what great programming does. It manages stress. So that's something that I know for sure I was not mindful of. The other massive, massive, massive piece of the puzzle was I wasn't doing any aerobic conditioning. I was doing conditioning. I was doing sled work. You know, I was doing various things. I played football. So I was doing various things at the field. But needless to say, there was no zone two work. I wasn't doing any steady state conditioning because I was scared that if I did, I would get slower. I would get weaker. I would get fatter. And obviously we know now that that's not the case. If you're still of that mindset, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a great article where you can read about the aerobic system. I think a lot of people now are starting to come around that there is a lot of value there. But for, you know, if I go back in time and I think about the things that I heard back then, none of it was about steady state conditioning. And lo and behold, my aerobic system sucked, you know, and it give you some evidence of that, you know, I would be feeling like crap towards the end of a football game, third, fourth quarter, I was playing both ways in high school. And, uh, you know, it definitely set me back. I did not have the same energy, the same output that I would have early on in the game. This is something I could have easily fixed. I also, there was a test that we did in college and it was a 40 yard dash test where you had to do X amount of 40s off your best time, 10 in a row, something silly. And I would do the first three, no problem. And then I would die. So, you know, the aerobic system was always uh, an area of weakness for me. And you know what? I didn't, I didn't need to do a lot back then, but if I did a little bit, it would have been better than nothing. And I likely would have had a lot better results. I probably would have recovered better. And who knows? Maybe I'd be better off today had I done more of that work back then. But needless to say, I did no zone two work at all. So that's something I would have included. So if we just kind of just take a step back and just think about what I've just talked about, I would customize one movement. And that was my hip hinge pattern. 
I would not pull from the floor and I would bias certain variations. In my case, it would have been sumo and trap bar. I would have probably just eliminated conventional unless I was doing an RDL, which is a different movement. I would have probably just eliminated a conventional stance deadlift for myself. And then including zone two work. Everything else was actually pretty decent in my program. I was still doing a lot of assistance work. I was likely doing too much volume and too many exercises per session, but that's another story. And, you know, I think if I just started with those two things, I would be in a different position than I'm in right now. So if we think about some other small things, I can tell you that CrossFit did not do well for my body. I was, I would say, somewhat balanced. I could do an overhead squat, you know, almost perfectly. I never had issues with overhead squats still until I started doing CrossFit and I started doing a lot of overhead work and whether it came from kipping pull-ups or doing a lot of Olympic lifting, that's really what threw my body for a loop. And I started to develop some asymmetries upstairs, uh, upstairs being in my thoracic spine and, and just kind of uh, shoulder complex. And this manifested itself when anytime I snatched or overhead squatted, I would be very, very crooked. And you know, you can go down downstream and look at my hips, you can look at my ankles. But I would say that none of this stuff are things that I saw before CrossFit. So I think just the overabundance of overhead work Again, a lot of kipping pull-ups. I mean, this is just not a great movement for someone like myself. I've got very tight lats. So going through that range of motion, it's almost like, I mean, it's a square peg round hole range of motion for someone like me. You're putting, forcing someone into a position they shouldn't be in. Just like I did with my deadlifts, I did the same thing with CrossFit. And again, is there something I can point to as an issue? I mean, no, not really. So there's no real tangible data. It's all anecdotal. But I will tell you that if I what I had learned later on, I would have likely changed how I trained when I was uh, experimenting a lot with that stuff. Now, all of our experiences get us to where we're at. And I don't think that I would, you know, necessarily remove any one experience. But I will tell you that there was a, a decent period of time where I experimented using a lot of different forms of training, a linear style format, using a lot of Olympic lifting. I was training at an Olympic lifting gym, believe it or not. I did some powerlifting meets in between. So there was a lot of things going on. If I had known then what I know now, I would have just trained conjugate. I wouldn't have, uh, the only thing that would be would be different is I would follow kind of more of the CXC model that I use now with using some zone two uh, conditioning in between my main sessions. And I would have just stuck with increasing volume of assistance, ex assistance and accessory exercises. And that would have been the mainstay. I wouldn't have tried to, you know, throw a Metcon in or throw in any things that uh, any movements that just don't align with me. Kipping pull-ups were one movement that I would likely have just only kept a competition, you know, practice them from time to time, built a little bit of skill there, but I wouldn't have done them in a, you know, high volume on a weekly basis. Cause that just, again, I don't think served a long-term purpose for me. I think if you're strong and you build, a, you know, I would say a decent level of competency with that pattern, do you need to train it in every single session or, or even multiple sessions a week? I would say no. And, you know, my evidence to that would be me doing the CrossFit Open in 2018 and doing better without ever doing any CrossFit leading up to it. Um, and that's years leading up to it. That's not just like, hey, I, I stopped doing CrossFit for a few months. For a couple of years, I just kind of removed these things from my programming, like kipping pull-ups, like handstand push-ups, and just focused on, again, building my aerobic system, building strength, and the rest takes care of itself. Now, I already knew how to do the Olympic lifts. I already knew how to do muscle-ups and kipping pull-ups, butterfly-style pull-ups. So obviously, that stuff was already there for me. But if we can make some small changes, some small changes are likely going to be the thing that allows you to stay pain-free. Those are the two things that I would point to, the aerobic work and 
customizing my hip hinge pattern more. And I would probably even say that, you know, the CrossFit element of it was a valuable experience for me. If I had to remove two patterns, it would be the gymnastics, the kipping pull-ups and the handstand push-ups. Those would be the two things I probably would have just, uh, you know, learned them and then left it that, that way, you know, maybe every so often include it, but it wouldn't be on a weekly basis. I mean, there are points in time where we were doing it multiple times a week, which to me now is crazy, but you know, we go through part of being a coach, being an athlete as you go through a lot of your own experiences. And you know what? I can't, you know, I can, I can share with you my experiences, but I can't tell you what to do. You're going to do what you're going to do regardless of what I say. And you know what? You might learn something that makes you become the coach that you and then end up becoming. So all this stuff is certainly here for your disposal. I am recording this podcast for you guys so you can hopefully take something from this and maybe not make that same mistake. But to be a great coach, to be an elite level coach, you should be customizing for your client. Do not put everyone into the same bucket where you're saying, okay, this is the standard and we need to adhere to the standard. The standard is relative to the person. And that's what I was trying to get at with the whole thing about, you know, CrossFit open workouts are, you know, have a tremendous value for the community. They have value for, you know, exposing people to competition, but trying to put everyone into the same bucket of just, hey, this is the standard and we have to adhere to it no matter what, I think does people a disservice. And you know what? People will have setbacks. It might not be right away, but down the road they could. So if you were going to take anything from this, it would be customized to the person, customized to yourself. If something doesn't feel right, then it probably isn't. If something doesn't feel right, then I would recommend not doing it and searching for an alternative because likely there's something that will align better with you and will allow you to train the way you want to train and not have any setbacks. Okay, guys, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. Check out the Ultimate Programming Playbook. A lot of the stuff I talked about in the show is in there. Templates, programming, guides to every aspect of programming you can think of. And there's also a long library of video modules. It's not just templates. There's a lot of education in there, even from learning the science behind why we program, how we program. So lots of great stuff for you guys to unpack there. And feel free share this episode. I appreciate the reviews. I appreciate you guys sharing to someone that you can, um, you know, that might find value in the show. So again, appreciate all the support and I'll see you guys on the next episode. This was another episode of Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on all podcast platforms. 